My guest today, John Fenn, founded Church Without Walls International. You can find it at that same name.org. And I'm particularly honored to have John with me today because the Lord was giving me kind of a vision of, of what he is intending to do and what he is doing throughout the world. God's ministry aligns with John's ministry. He had an experience in heaven. He has had several other experiences, both prophetically and otherwise. So, John, it is great to have you with us today. Appreciate it, Randy. Good to good to be here. Good to to meet you. I'm I'm excited for what the Lord's doing. Well, likewise, and you know, we've had a lot of people, of course, on this show who have had experiences in heaven and in some cases in hell. Uh, so, why don't we begin with that? Because uh, you had a very intimate and very detailed experience in heaven with the Lord. <laughs> just to just to start with that, huh? Well, um, I know we're deep diving into that. Uh, we'll we'll start with wherever you want to go, John. But um, you know that yeah. where you are in in your walk today with uh, Church Without Walls International is where the Lord is moving in terms of small groups throughout the world. But what let's let's start there uh, then. If what what precipitated your ministry and and your life we can go back to uh i know with your family life and your father there were some dynamics in that relationship so wherever you would like to start let's go there well i think people need to know that for me yeah my life has always sought balance between the word and the spirit and you know i'll just say this that that when i visited heaven it wasn't because of a, a car crash or an illness or anything like that. The Lord took me there, told me that He was going to to let me see uh, some of heaven. But it was part of it's part of the ongoing walk with the Lord that I have. When I was uh, sixteen, the Lord, the Father, actually told me He called me to be a seer. And I, for brevity's sake, I'll just say it this way: that that I didn't know what a seer was. I knew that it was the Old Testament word for prophet before the word prophet came into popularity and, and use. I knew that there are examples in the Old Testament, like in 2 Kings 6, where Elisha saw the, the army that was surrounding them, but he also saw, almost like an overlay, the heavenly army, the angelic army that was around him. And so that's how it is with me, Randy, so often is when I when the Lord comes and visits me or I see in the angelic realm, Oftentimes my eyes are wide open, but I also see like an overlay, like a, a parallel universe. It, it's just, I also see the angels. I also see the Lord, et cetera. Um, for me, we the cwowi.org, our, our website, it's a house church network, and it's relationship-based. And I would say that some of the experiences I've had with the Lord led me directly to seek a relationship-based faith rather than a building-based faith. But that said, going forward to your question about heaven, the Lord early on, let me say it this way, I I grew up believing the book of Acts is normal Christianity. I Even though I was raised Episcopalian or Anglican, I didn't really have any born-again church instruction. So when I read the book of Acts, the 30 years that are covered there, I thought that was normal Christianity. And what we see there are people having experiences with angels, 
We see Paul seeing the Lord, a man named Ananias seeing the Lord. You have people raised from the dead, the sick healed, demons cast out, the whole spectrum. And I just thought this is normal Christianity. So it should be normal to have these things happen in my life. And I, as a teenager, th I mean, this is, I'm, I'm born again, I'm spirit-filled, I'm just learning. And so nobody told me otherwise. And so, but I didn't, I didn't really see the Lord or anything until I was 28 years old. That was April of 1986 was the first time the Lord appeared to me. And, and then he began a series of teaching me different things. He would come and visit me over the next, especially three or four years saying, I want to teach you about um, angels and demons. I want to start, I want to teach you about how I start and shut down churches. Later on, some of the teachings were things like, I want to teach you about worship. I want to teach you about holiness. So when I went to heaven, when the Lord gave me that tour of heaven, it was part of the succession of visitations that I'd been having for three or four years. And like I said, that first time I saw the Lord was April of 1986. So that was years ago, and he still visits me, um, you know, several times a year, three or four times a year usually. And that sounds unusual. It sounds, I know what it sounds like. I don't seek it. I don't want it. It's just when you really have in your heart, this is normal Christianity, you're not surprised when people get healed or when prayers get answered, or if you happen to see an angel or the Lord, it's not something to be sought after. It's just something that happens because you have this mind frame that this is normal Christianity. If it doesn't look like the book of Acts, it's abnormal Christianity as far as I'm concerned. And that's one of the things that led me to house church because they, the early church for the first 300 years met in homes. You know, the, all, the apostles were, were doing church in the home, and they were writing letters to people meeting in the home. And you can imagine my horror after 25 years in the auditorium system, how when I realized that, I, I realized I had lifted verses out of context and tried to make them fit in an auditorium where they were never intended to fit. But anyway, mm. when the Lord uh, was dealing with me about different things, this was... Uh, again, a succession of teachings and stuff like that, and he would appear to me, he told me, he said, uh, he said, I'm going to uh, allow you to see some of heaven. And Randy, my, we've got three boys, and the oldest of which had the umbilical cord around his neck in a slipknot and was delivered by emergency C-section. So he is the happiest, most outgoing, friendly guy you'd ever meet, but he's mentally about four or five years old because of lack of oxygen. And so when the Lord said, I, I'm going to let you see heaven, the first thing I said to him is, are you sure it's going to be a round trip? Because I had a wife and three boys and one of them handicapped. And I did, I wanted a round trip ticket to heaven. I didn't want, <laughs> you know, I didn't want a one-way ticket. And I actually backed off of that until I received assurances from the father uh, that it was round trip. And finally, after about three weeks, he said, no, he said, he said, he said, you'll be back. This is just a visit, a short visitation. And so I was praying in our church. I was pastor of a small country church, praying one afternoon, I had my hands up. I was kneeling down uh, up front in the sanctuary there. I, I, my eyes were open and I saw my hand, of course, but suddenly I saw my angel's hand in the middle of the air, his forearm in the middle of the air. And I heard him say just to my left, take my hand. And when I did that, I watched my spirit man's arm and hand come up out of my arm, just bending at the elbow. 
just coming up out of my physical arm, grabbing his hand, and just like just like being pulled out of my body, uh, suddenly we were flying what felt like flying through space. And I looked around. I I, I was looking. I, I was amazed actually because I thought I thought it would be kind of like Star Wars, you know, where you've got these streaks of light, you know, just going by. And the distances are so vast. I it was like, am I in space? Or is this this a, a different dimension? I, you know, your mind kind of goes through these things and when I finally had the presence of mind to turn around, I tried to find the earth. I looked around and I couldn't find the earth, the sun, our solar system. It was all just stars all over the place, more than you could ever imagine. But the distances were so vast that I, I always thought, you know, you'd get closer the more you went, but that wasn't the case. And suddenly I, I felt we were deaccelerating. And, you know, I'm holding on to his hand and I'd been looking kind of over my shoulder. So I looked back as I felt this deacceleration. And there above us was this kind of towards the corner of this huge walled city, 20 stories tall, probably 20 stories tall, pure light. The, the corners were kind of rounded. And then I could see the wall went this way and went that way. As, I couldn't tell how far it was. I didn't really care. <laughs> I was just taken, taken back by by this about 20 stories tall, huge blocks on the wall. The, 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 it was pure light. It was pure light. But I found that when I looked into the light, it didn't hurt my eyes. When I looked into the light, Randy, it was, you could see the colors in there. You could see the colors of the building and, and the, the, the stones that it was built with had embedded precious stones and semi-precious stones. And I'm not talking about the size of a, a of a woman's, you know, engagement ring. I mean, four and five feet long, you know, one and two meters long, almost like extruded uh, sapphires and rubies and, and just different colors. And vaguely in the back of my mind, I remembered somewhere in the book of Revelation, it said that the walls of the, of the New Jerusalem are founded upon the lives of the 12 apostles. And um, but uh, but we kept going, so I didn't dwell on that. I just noticed it. And there was like, I could see what must have been 300 miles on down, down each way. There were like gates that were like one big pearl, like like uh, gates of pearl, both, both big and then also kind of a translucent shiny. But I was at it from kind of the side, so I could just see from the side. So it's, I don't know how accurate that that is, that glimpse. When we came up over the wall, still holding on to the angel's hand. And I noticed that the rooftops of all the buildings were were like a, an eclectic collection of architecture from all over the world, all different ages. Um, it was, you know, we, we just we just kind of floated down into this grassy area. But I, I saw I saw flat roofs, pitched roofs. I saw like an onion dome, like some of the churches in Eastern Europe have, kind of that, that bulb at the top. And there were there were boulevards. There were um, there were like you see in Philadelphia or New York, where you see homes all in a row with sharing like the same identical steps up to them. There were rows like that. I had already known. I, I, I'm enough of I've been in the Word enough. I already knew that when Jesus said in John chapter 14, "In my Father's house are many mansions," I already knew the history. I learned that back in 1979 or or 80 that the word mansion is not in the Greek. It's it's the same. It means abode, a place to live. It's mm -hmm. it, that same Greek word is used in verse twenty three, 
where Jesus said, if you believe on me, my father and I will come and make our abode with you. So what Jesus literally said, literally said, in my father's house, there are many places to live. Mm -hmm. It's not even grammatically possible to have in my father's house, there are mansions. How do you fit mansions inside of a house? It's not even grammatically uh, sensible. So, by the way, historically, from what I've read and understood is the translators of the King James Version inserted mansion because they didn't want King James to be offended to think that when he got to heaven, he just had an abode. <laughs> so they inserted the word mansion. So it's become tradition ever since. Bustle uh, houses of all kinds. And um, without jumping ahead, we landed there in the grass. And the amazing thing was that, well, where we were, there was like a wall on my right with houses. And then to the left where we were, where we actually landed, where it was just all open. And I could see for, for miles, grassy, green, rolling trees, big clump of trees and almost like a forest to my left going out. And, and the thing was that I, I thought about a tree and it had to be about a half a mile kilometer away. And, and I looked at the leaves and I found that I, just at the speed of thought, if I wanted to look at the detail of the leaf, I, I got down to the leaf level, then to the cellular level, then to the atomic level. I, my eyes were as good as they needed to be. And the distance did not matter, which was amazing to me. And I became aware that every different plant had a different frequency, I guess, for lack of a better word, a, a, a humming that was going on. It wasn't like elevator music. It wasn't like that at all. It was just this kind of awareness that on a molecular level, there was this sound being generated. But but if I gave myself to it, I could hear all of it together like an orchestra, like a hum, humming worship to the Lord. And the minute I turned my attention away, I didn't notice it. It was it was silent. It wasn't like it was just a an area of huge sound. But uh uh, there was a what appeared to be a, I assume it's a tributary of the river of life, part of the river of life. It appeared to be about 50 feet across, uh, which would be, what would that be? 20, almost 15, 20 meters across. It was making its own waves. I mean, literally it was running down, but but it was like curling up like a wave at a beach or something. There were, there were waves that were curling. When I, when I looked at it, I giggled. Because the the waves, there was just such laughter and such joy. And I would look at it and I would I would go, <laughs> like, I mean, I was giggling like a little schoolgirl, you know, just, <laughs> and then I'd look away just to like, okay, settle down, settle, settle. But there was such joy in that. It was, it was almost effervescent. It was just amazing. And then on the other side, there was this rustle through the grass. And, and suddenly I could see just the top of, of an animal. And then right on the edge appeared our golden retriever, Abby, who had been hit and killed by a school bus uh, one day. And there was also my little pet monkey, Tilly, that I had when I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And they jumped with one leap across that 50 feet, that, you know, 20 meters, 15, 20 meters. They, they jumped across that with just one jump across. And Abby sat down at my feet and looked up at me and she had her tongue hanging out, not because she was hot, but just because she was a golden retriever, you know, it was that kind of a thing. And Tilly was on her back. Tilly was a, a squirrel monkey. I'll explain that. Tilly, uh, squirrel monkeys are, 
you know, not very big and they don't have a prehensile tail. They're from South America. They've got a cute little face. After my dad had left our family, I was devastated and somehow taking care of a monkey hit me that I, I wanted to do that. And I think my mom recognized perhaps intuitively that the, her 14 year old oldest son was hurting and I took care of that monkey and she lived for about a year and she died on my lap on the way to the veterinarian. Uh, she was my buddy. She was potty trained to her cage. We went outside. She had a harness. Uh, it was devastating when she, she died. I was just 15, just the summer I turned 15. And what's interesting is two years later, year and a half later, when I was born again, I went to where I had buried Tilly. And the word clone was not in the vocabulary back then, you know, 1975, 1974, 75. And so but I said, Father, I said, Tilly was a real gift from you and brought healing. Could you arrange to make her in heaven? Because Elijah was taken away by a horse, horses and chariots. And, and Jesus is coming back on a horse and all the armies of heaven riding horses. So why not a monkey? I don't know how you do it if you have to do a duplicate or whatever to make an exact rep representation. But one way or the other, could you make... Tilly in heaven. There are horses there, so please, why not a monkey? So I was so pleased that that, you know, I pray that, you know, 18 months after the fact, after I was born again. So I was so pleased to see Tilly. Tilly got up and, and put one foot here on my shoulder and looked over the top of my head, you know, like she used to do. But Abby sat there with her tongue out and she looked at me and I heard her thoughts. This is what we would call a word of knowledge on earth where the Holy Spirit communicates a piece of God's unlimited knowledge. And I heard Abby say, where's Barb? That's my wife. Where's Barb and the boys? And I, <laughs> I, I said, they're not here. It's just me. She said, okay. I looked at my angel and he just, and he looked at me and he said, when you're in heaven, you can take part in the father's unlimited knowledge as you have need because it's governed by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And Abby and Tilly jumped down. They jumped across the river. They went the other way. And the angel said to me, he said, the children in school really enjoy them. And let me insert this, Randy. I, I, that I include at the very end of my book, Pursuing the Seasons of God, which details some of the earlier visitations I had. I am willing to email the PDF to all your viewers of Pursuing the Seasons of God if they will email me. Uh, they can email me at cwowi at aol.com, cwowi at aol.com, or visit our website, and you can communicate that way, cwowi.org. But um, but anyway, so we, the angel and I walked, in one step, we jumped over the, the river of life. And I, I, you know, what occurred to me at the time is it made me wonder if when Jesus was walking on the water, if that wasn't the first time he had done that, because we could have walked across the water, we could have swum through the water, we could have popped over it like we did. I, it was just, it just occurred to me that it's like, wow, you know, the, you're, you're not limited like you are on earth. So when we were walking along, do you want to keep telling chronologically what, what I saw? Yeah, I, but what I find so fascinating and one of the, I guess you might call it benefits, John, of of having had an experience in in my own case and some of the others with whom we've uh, interviewed 
um, where they've clinically died, we've clinically died and experienced heaven apart from our body because our brain had been dead. Um, in comparison to the experience that you're explaining as a seer, a prophetic, where you haven't clinically died, but you're experiencing heaven in that same way, is that when I hear a story like yours that parallels uh, those experiences that, that those of us who have not been in our bodies have experienced, uh, it resonates with me, uh, the truth of it. Uh, because there are there are some who speak of kind of heaven and hell, even as though it's going on an elevator ride, you know, and it's back and forth. And and it's almost that that sensory part that says, OK, this is this is it. You saw what what I saw and some of the others have seen that have uh, clinically died. But I think this is absolutely fascinating. I love that you have your pets in heaven because that's one of the most common questions we get. Are there pets in heaven? I had my, my childhood dog, uh, Casey. Uh, we've had others like Karina Martinez who have uh, seen her uh, dogs in heaven. So I, I love that. But uh, anyway, that's an interjection to kind of yeah. um, hopefully kind of validate what you're saying, because I, I, I'm just uh, experiencing this vicariously through you. But I'm also uh, going back to having in my mind. I appreciate that. Maybe it'd be wise to to include. I was I was still out of my body. You know, in, in Paul describes, oh, and I think Acts 22, certainly in Acts 10 with Peter described being in a trance. And a trance in Scripture, in the two examples in the book of Acts, in Paul describes it, I think it's Acts 22, where he says he saw the Lord when he was in a trance and the Lord spoke to him. With Peter, he saw the vision of the sheets and the animal, or the sheet and yes. the animal three times. And that, my experience, having seen it and, and everything, it's it's your physical body is suspended. The The you know, if anyone had looked into the church sanctuary, they would have seen me kneeling with my hands up, but they would have seen me not moving. So spirit and soul, I, you know, it's it's like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, talking about himself. I knew a man in Christ 14 years ago, out of in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. You have these experiences mm -hmm. because the, the real you is your spirit and soul. The body is your house, your earth house. So I can tell you that the you know, my body was there at the church, but, you know, what I experienced was was real. And to that point about, about animals, when we walked on, I was curious about his statement that Abby and, and Tilly were enjoyed by the kids in school, because that just bonkered in my mind, you know. Uh, and, and then you start thinking about it. It's like, what would it be to have the Apostle Paul as a guest teacher? You know, what better way than to have an assembly of, of young people or, or old people alike and to to fill in the details of his life or or Elijah or Jonah or whatever the case is. I imagine Jonah is probably a popular guest speaker, you know. <laughs> uh, but I saw all kinds of I saw kids just pouring out of this this building. It looked like a one level, you know, school building. But um but I mean there were there were I, I saw kids there were there were some a couple boys wrestling with tigers and uh and leopards and jaguars, but I also saw like turtles you know, just imagine these when pe children bury their, you know, their pet turtle or whatever the case is, and they say, "Could you make it in heaven, please, Father?" You know, in their little children' voice, the Father's mm. so gracious. Yeah. Um, 
so I saw I saw African animals, uh, you know, wild animals, big game animals type of thing. Uh, there was a giraffe hanging, just standing there watching things over the wall, and a kid kind of hanging on his neck, and he was, it, it was just, you know, your mind just kind of goes, wow. Mm. And and the thing is that just the same way I understood Abby's thoughts when she said, "Where's Barb and the boys?" These children understood what the animals were thinking, and quote unquote saying. Um, they understood that, and so there was there was just great fun there share a little bit about the kids and about the father's great goodness. Cause you know, every, when my dad left our family, when I was uh, 11 and a half years old, my heart was immediately for, for a father. And, and so the father has been my number one fellowship person. I fellowship with, if I could say person since I was, you know, 16 years old. Um, you know, I'll, I'll put it this way. When Jesus said in John 14, six, that I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. What he indicated is Jesus is the way, but the Father is our destination. And if Christians are stuck on Jesus only, without a relationship also with their Father, then they're going to be incomplete and unfulfilled in their in their walk. In 1 John chapter 1, it opens up and he says, I'm writing to you because our fellowship is with the Father and also his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so that you might also have fellowship with us, meaning all of us. So we should be fellowshipping with the Father and with the Lord. And so that's always been my heart. So so I have a, a soft spot for looking at the, the tenderness of the Father God and his kindness and consideration to every one of us. So there were two girls. There were two girls that were playing. One of them had honey-colored hair, just beautiful honey blonde hair, and she was probably six, eight years old. She's all grown up now. Children grow up to become adults. Everyone in heaven, roughly, you know, 30, 35 years of age, uh, because that's the maturing level, you know, when you get to a certain age. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I was looking at these two two girls because this one girl's hair was just, just gorgeous, just shown. It was just beautiful. And her little friend, who was probably a couple of years younger than her, and my angel said, these two girls died of cancer in Houston, Texas. And at that point, they knew by the spirit that I we was talking about them, and they came over with a a, a boy also uh, who was from India. And they came they came over, and while they were doing that, the angel told me he said that girl with the hair lost all of her. She said he said she when she was growing up, her hair was her most precious possession. She loved her thick her thick shiny hair. And it meant everything to her. But when she went through treatment, she lost all her hair. He said, but she put out on a brave face and she told anyone it didn't matter. But your father, and it's the way he put it, your father know, knew her heart, that it really did matter. So when she got to heaven, he made sure she had luxurious, beautiful hair once again, and even more so. And so when she came over, she explained that she had been a Christian and uh, relayed everything that the angel had said that it was accurate. The girl next to her said, I was not a Christian. I didn't know the Lord. She said, but people would come by and read Bible stories. And she said, just one day, one day I just said, that's that's who I want. That's who I believe. Yes, it's Jesus. And and so she, you know, she ended up in heaven as well. Um, the, I the love boy, that. Yeah. The boy, the boy from India was different. He'd appeared to be about 12 years old. And he told me, he said, I came from a very poor family. 
and there wasn't enough money to raise me uh, in, uh, from one of the lower castes. And he said, so I, I had to leave the family uh, for the sake of my uh, brothers and sisters. And he said, I, I lived off the street. He said, I stole, I sniffed glue or paint or anything I could find to dull the hunger pains in my belly. He said, I, I, I stole food. I, I ate out of the trash. He said, he, he said, I had no hope. I was in despair. I was just trying to survive. And he said, one day I looked out between some buildings to, to the end of the, you know, through an alley, through a street. And he said, there was a field on the other side and there were flowers and butterflies and birds. It was so, so alive compared to my life living on the street. And he said, I had heard of Jesus as one of the gods, but I didn't give it another thought. And he said, but when I looked at that, I said, someone, some God had to create that beauty had to create that grass and the butterflies and the and the birds and everything. He said, and he, he said, I said within myself, I want to know that creator. Mm. And he said, a few months later, he died. And he said, I found the creator's name is Jesus. Mm. And it just touched my heart, you know. Wow. Uh, uh, but anyway. That's, that's amazing. It's amazing. You know, then Psalms, he gives us the desires of our heart and that's manifested to the fullest in heaven these are vignettes you're seeing in heaven of people that are there at that time that are very striking that the, that which the world robs us of is as completed to the fullest and to the umph degree in heaven yeah yeah and you know we're talking about houses uh, i could well <laughs> there's some stuff that was really touching maybe i should should go there first uh, and, and this would, especially for those who have uh, ever had a miscarriage uh, or abortion, the angel and I walked to this area where I saw row after row of angels. And, and angels, angels look like men, young men, very innocent, as innocent as a toddler, yet they're adults. But there were these angels that were lined up almost shoulder to shoulder and like soldiers, just rank and file as far back. I mean, as you could see, just over and back, just just millions of them, I'm sure. And and they were each holding, they, they each were holding their hands like this. Like in American football, you put your hand kind of over your, your belly, a, a, a um, running back would put their hands like this to receive a football. And hovering between their hands was kind of a sphere of light, not like a football shaped, but not exactly a ball, just kind of ob, oblong, but changing shape to a degree. From And it was misty, like white mist and fog on the outside, and it got more dense to the inside. And they were just all over the place, just shoulder to shoulder, about so far apart, you know, shoulder to shoulder. And I, and I was thinking, okay, what am I seeing? And I, I saw the, the one on the corner closest to me, and I, I just thought, Father, I'd sure like to know what, what, he, what these guys are holding. And just like that, suddenly the, the father opened the eyes of my understanding, and I could look through that white misty fog, and I saw a baby growing like it was in a womb, just as if it you know it was an X-ray or, or or an MRI or something like that. I saw baby developing in the womb. I have no explanation for that, other than I suddenly looked <laughs> to my angel, and he said this. He he said he said this is where all the miscarried and aborted babies go. 
And in the mm. ages to come, they will grow up and fulfill their destinies. Mm. And I just, I just thought how, how no baby is lost. No baby is, 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 you know, forgotten and, and gone and, and just no baby just disappears from there. We walked onto an area that I could only describe as a nursery, almost a daycare. And there were angels and there were people taking care of babies. And there was a, a like a wall that was about three meters, 10 foot tall. And then there was a flooring that went out at least that same distance. No roof, no other wall, just a wall, a back wall and a wall out. On this area here, um, on the flooring, there were playpens and tables and, a, you know, just an area for children. And and there were a combination of angels and people. And out in front of this area, there was a huge grassy area. I mean huge. It was just grassy. And there were all kinds of, there were people and little toddlers and babies out in the grass playing. And, and my angel said, I noticed that there were angels and people. And, and he said, this is the first time I heard it. This, this two times I heard it in heaven. He said, when possible, children are raised by their relatives, but sometimes it's not possible. So angels help. Mm. And I just, I thought, you know, I thought of all the people whose hearts are for children and for little babies and how that gift will be continue in heaven that, that we're already in eternity. And the gift you have from God now is not going to change. It's not going to, it's not a burden or anything. And here's the striking part. Um, when we were walking along there, there appeared a rustle in the grass, a stirring. And imagine, Randy, imagine there's somebody beneath ground level, but they're on a ramp or an escalator going up. And imagine they're running up that. So as they are going up that incline, if they were coming up through the grass, you would gradually see you know, more and more of them as they proceeded up the incline. There was this young woman who first, I, I, when I looked, everyone turned around and looked. They all knew what was going on, I guess. I didn't know. This woman, first the top of her head, then her whole face, and then her body. She's running. She's got her arms outstretched like this. And she's running straight for this area where there's the wall and the, and the flooring. And I'm looking, and everybody's watching in, the, in this area except there's an angel holding a newborn baby and his and he's facing that back wall and then the baby's wrapped up in a like in a, in a soft cloth or towel or blanket or something and he's got his back to the woman he's he's the only one in that immediate area that had his back to her and it it caught me off guard and this woman this young woman is running and she and as 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 she's running the angel says to me he says she died uh, from complications in childbirth. Her baby died, and then she died from complications of childbirth. Mm. And she came, and that angel, it's hard to say. It gets me every time. The angel turned around just as she was coming up with her arms outstretched. The angel turned around and just went like this and gave her her baby. Oh. Oh and she took that, that baby, and she held in her arms and she just spun around and around she was so thrilled and i thought i thought on earth you know they're mourning the loss of this baby and this young mother mm. but in heaven it's a reunion 
And, and I, I, I don't know her bio. I don't know where she came from. I don't know what happened. I just know the baby died and then she died in or, or from complications there with childbirth. And that was just an amazing thing of the goodness of, of our heavenly father. Um, yeah. And that, and that correlates with a couple of other stories we've heard from, well, one is from yours truly, uh, won't get into the details, but also Jim Woodford saw the nursery. So there are a handful of us, including yourself, obviously, who have seen these tender moments of the with the unborn and with children who have have died at an early age uh and it just confirms the the generosity and the love um and the heart tender-heartedness of our lord yeah you know it's i i i purposely don't read or listen to other people's stories because i don't want it i don't want to to mess with the purity of what I experienced and what I experienced is, is also very personal. It took me some years to, to share more. It's, you know, my, my heart is all about our house church network, about teaching the balance of the word. You know, I do a weekly short teaching on YouTube under the super house church channel. You know, that's my heart. These experiences are like icing on the cake. They are, they're, they confirm the faith. They, you know, mm -hmm. Christianity has to be supernatural. Or it's just a philosophy. Yes. If 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 our if your viewers aren't experiencing, you know, the real touch from the Lord, if they're having church experience instead of a God experience, if if they're not if they experience the Word and the Spirit together, that's the way it should be. If they've got yes. all the Word, they're going to be as dry as toast. If they have all the Spirit, they'll be as flaky as breakfast cereal, fruits, nuts, and flakes. But it's the combination and the balance of the word and the spirit together. And Christianity has to be supernatural for it to be Christianity. We believe and know that our Lord was risen from the dead. That's supernatural. Amen. And and so these, these should not, we have to go by the validation in our spirit. Like you say, it resonates because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with people saying this is true. And your head is going tilt. But you're in your spirit. You're saying this is true. It resonates. There, there's something right about this. Yes. Um, we were talking about homes and everything. And if I could go on, you know, Please. let me explain this. I we were walking along, and there. Um, let me tell you something else. Well, I'll finish this. Walking along, and there was this what appeared to be a, a simple American style two story Victorian home with a wraparound front porch. But it was small. It wasn't big and sprawling. It was just a small, probably two-bedroom type of home. It had a front porch to it. And it just, it was cute. It was a cute little house. And there was a, a path and a kind of a road almost, road width at least, through the grass to the back. And I could see what appeared to be like a mud hut in the back. And so we, we just veered off. And I went went back there. And there was an adobe brick, that's how I describe it, a mud brick home, uh, very primitive, in the back. And I said, hello, and, and there was a woman that, that came out. And I said, I'm surprised, do you live in the house up front? And she said, she and she told me this, I'll just tell you the story. She said, I was raised in Kenya, and I was raised and lived in a house like this, that he, she was living in, the mud brick house. She said, but 
But in my heart, she said, I had seen pictures of those American homes with the porch and, and with the pretty windows. And she said, I always wanted one of those. She said, and when I came to heaven, the father had given me one of those, but he also gave me the, the, the home that I was familiar with and comfortable in as well. So she said, I, sometimes I'm back here because it's familiar and familiar with my family, but I also go to my other home and sometimes I'll sit on the porch and, and watch people pass by and, and visit. That was incredible. Hmm. One of the other things uh, earlier on when I described a, a, so a forest to my left when we first landed, there were a group of people that came out of that forest and they were clearly headed to, I just knew that they were headed to the throne. And I could see an area off in the distance that was, you know, the skies are pastel color, but there was more intense white light off to the distance in that direction. I could tell this group of people were headed and I just, just intuitively or somehow knew by the spirit that they were headed to the throne. And I said, I said, where did you guys come from? You just came out of the forest. And they said, they said, we, we lived in tree houses on the earth and we live in tree houses now. That's what we're comfortable with. And that's what we enjoy. And it wasn't until, I mean, I kept quiet about that part of it for years. And it wasn't until later uh, I, I did a, I did some research. It was with, you know, the advent of the internet, you know, suddenly libraries all over the world open up to your fingertips. And I found that there was a tribe in like New Guinea or someplace that lives in tree houses. And I just thought that's probably where they came from. And somehow they'd heard the gospel. They, they worshiped the Lord, uh, you know, and, and, and so the, the first thing I saw was that people have what are from what is familiar with them. It's mm. a, it's just a continuation. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say about disputes too, and, and, and arguments, you know, there, there are, there are people out there who believe kind of a theology that unless your slate is completely clean when you draw your last breath, that you won't get to heaven. And I think that's kind of unrealistic to think that every Christian who dies is going to be all, you know, um, sweet and, and uh, you know, have warm and fuzzy feelings about everybody in their life and every experience they ever had. And Paul did, in fact, deal with some of the ill feelings and biases and, and strifes and divisions that Christians get into. He dealt with it in 1 Corinthians 3 when people were making divisions. And he, Paul said, these are wood, hay, and stubble. And in 1 Corinthians 3, through verse 15, by the time he gets to verse 15, he says, if you don't deal with this envy and strife and division, he said, when you get to heaven, it's going to be like wood, hay, and stubble, and it will be burned up before the Lord. You yourself will be saved, but it'll be like having come through a fire. In other words, you know, we have to deal with, with the issues of this life, and we do our best to go with a clean slate. But my point is that there are issues that we just can't get resolved while we're on the earth. One of the things I saw in heaven was a, a man talking to his son. This was an adult man and a, an adult son. And it was somebody that I actually happened to know. I had met uh, once or twice. I'd been part of our network of house churches. And he died suddenly of a heart attack. And they, the father and the son were walking away from where I was, and they were talking about something. And I asked my angel, I said, so what are they talking about? And he said, well, it's none of your business. But I can tell you it had to do with when, and he 
named my friend, when he left the house at age 17 because of a fight with his dad. Hmm. And he said, they're talking about it and reconciling. Hmm. And that was all the detail he would provide. I don't know the details of what led up to that. I don't know what kind of a son he had been up to that age 17. But here they were in heaven talking through that. And the, the beauty of it is that there is no devil. And because the Holy Spirit is guiding our thoughts, there is no possibility for misunderstanding at all. Every intention of every word is perfectly communicated to the other person receiving it by the Holy Spirit so that you don't have all the misunderstandings that we have, you know, in friendships, in marriage, in siblings, you know, in workplaces. And it's like, well, I didn't mean that. Well, that's what you said. Well, in heaven, the Holy Spirit communicates exactly what you mean. There's no devil. You're not dealing with the flesh uh, from that standpoint, and you're able to to objectively uh, deal with things. And and so when they were talking, and I saw they were walking towards this area where there were like several different rectangular homes, just very simple, almost like concrete block, just homes kind of around a circle area. And I said, where, where is that? What is that? And, and he said, that's, um, that's their home. That's, that's where the main part of their family lives. And I had known the man on earth, like I said, and I had known that his family had homesteaded a ranch and that he and his generation had to sell the ranch. And I said, well, I said, that looks like a, a ranch setting or something. I said, how big is it? And, and the angel said, you'd think of it as about a thousand acres. And I, I realized, Randy, that heaven is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. That when Jesus said heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. And he talked about that in, in Mark chapter four, how it's planted among the smallest of seeds, but it grows up and becomes a huge plant and even birds build their nests in it. That heaven is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. And the way I could describe it, it's, it's counterintuitive. The way I could describe it is you and I, and every one of our listeners here and, and viewers of your show are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. They have dreams, they have visions, they have, they have hopes, they have expectations that are far larger than, than what their life currently reflects. And that is because heaven is larger on the inside than it is on the outside. And so it, it's, I don't, I, without getting into quantum physics, it's somehow like, even though heaven is kind of described as 1500 miles by 1500 miles by 1500 miles, kind of a, a square or cube or something like that, it's actually much larger. All the dimensions within the father are there and everybody down through ages and time coexist perfectly well in the same space. It's just, it's larger on the inside. And, and that my encouragement to everybody watching, you know, right now is that you are larger on the inside than you are on the outside. I, there was a couple in our church, Randy, that, that um, it, it was one of those couples where when we'd have a guest speaker in our church, he would ask this couple to stand up and prophesy over them. You know, and we had some some notable speakers over the years, and they'd always pick either the husband or the wife or both of them out. Well, what happened was uh, unfaithfulness entered into the marriage, and they ended up divorced. So during a visitation with the Lord, and he was teaching me about just about how he, things happen and come to pass kind of behind the scenes. And I said, well, what about this couple? 
I, I named them. I said, you know, those words were valid. I knew that they were real words from you about their destiny, about their call, but now they're divorced and those words will never come to pass. But Isaiah 55 says, your word will not return to you void without first accomplishing, you know, what it was set out to. And he looked at me and he said, some words given in this age will not be fulfilled until the next. And I said, I need chapter and verse on that. And he referred to Isaiah 65, where it says the lion will eat straw like an ox and, and uh, a little child, you know, will play by an adder's or a den or whatever the case is, talking about the millennial age. And he said, there are many prophecies of the Old Testament that speak of the next age, leaping over this current age. Mm -hmm. Why is it so hard then for you to understand that a prophecy in this age might not come to pass in the next? Mm -hmm. And that's where I started to understand that from his perspective, we're already in eternity. We're already living forever. Yes. That if if a person can receive a call on their life when they're a teenager, and then life happens, they fall away from the Lord, or they don't follow him perfectly with their whole heart. Here they are, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, and they say, I've missed God. He must be so angry with me. No, no, no. That word will come to pass, but maybe it'll be 100 years from now, 300 years from now, 500 years from now. You're already in eternity. The, the Lord called you knowing what this life would hold, knowing that you'd fall away, knowing that you'd take a different path for, for decades, perhaps. And, and, and in the next age, that's, you know, that's when it'll come to pass. You know, we're going to be administrating the earth in the millennial age. Uh, the word judge meaning uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, and in the Revelation talking about ruling and reigning with the earth, that's a, an administrative form, uh, form of the word. In other words, we're going to be judging angels. We're going to be judging people. We're going to be ruling over administrating. So it'll come to pass. Yes. It's amazing. It's amazing the grace of the Father and the that Lord. That is so profound, John, because oftentimes we we lament lost dreams in this world. You know, I thought I would grow up to be, and I thought the Lord had ordained me to be such and such or do that, this or that. And we're limited in the context of a, of a very brief lifetime, a very short period of time in this world, like a vapor, as the Bible references it to be. And yet, what you're saying is, is the context of time from our perspective here on earth is, is the lifespan of a person. But the lifespan of the person from God's perspective is for eternity. That's right. In heaven. And that's completely different. That's a, that's a, that's a break of every paradigm that we conceive in the limitation of our thoughts in the context of the here and now versus eternity. Yeah. And, and I had an, I had an early visitation with the Lord where he was teaching me some things. And during these, the visitations, normally he will turn and go and he'll take one step, two step, then partway through his third step, he disappears. And I know that he's in somebody else's home, in somebody's worship service, somewhere, you know, elsewhere in the world. This isn't a hologram. This isn't whatever, you know, like it says in the scripture, the Lord came and visited Paul at night, you know, in Corinth and Acts 18. It, I mean, it, it is the Lord. You're in the spirit in his realm uh, when this happens or able to see him. But he turned to go. He took a, he, he took a half step and he turned back around. And then he looked at me and he said, you know, people get saved for Ephesians 2, 6. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Ephesians 2, 6 is actually talking about the Father, starting in verse 4, who the Father God, in his great kindness and mercy, even when we were dead in our sins, has saved us. And then verse 6 says, has made us sit in the heavenly places with him in Christ Jesus. And I, so I knew verse 6, and, and, he, and I said, what do you mean? You know, people get saved for verse 6. And, and he, said, he said, verse 6 represents your righteousness in me, your place in me, your authority in me. And he said, people get saved because of a tragedy in their life, or, or the Father draws them because they're seekers of truth, or, or some other reason they come to me. And then he paused, he tilted his head a little bit, and he smiled and he said, but the Father and I saved you for verse 7. And verse 7 says, all of verse 6 happened, so that in the ages to come, the Father will continue to show forth the riches of his kindness, which is towards us in Christ Jesus, in the ages to come. Mm -hmm. And when he said, but the Father and I saved you for the for verse 7, I just, I'm going like, wow, they, you know, the Father and Jesus have so much planned for us in the ages to come. We're just told about the millennial age. And pretty much the Bible ends with, you know, after that, a new heaven, new earth, and then we're not told anything else. But verse 7 says, ages to come. And the Father's still going to show us the kind, the riches of his kindness towards us. It's, it's just mind-boggling. And you know that, that perspective, uh, that eternal perspective in heaven being a, a continuation of our life on earth, uh, much of us, uh, many people feel that, you know, they've been called into a ministry and that ministry uh, doesn't happen. It doesn't come to fruition. They're caught doing a job. You know, maybe it's what they consider more of a menial type of work. But what you're talking about, John, is the continuation of that into heaven to the fulfillment. But speak, if if you will, to um uh, to the minutia of things in this world uh colossians 3:23 whatever we do we do it as unto the lord and it continues into heaven so some people right now are watching for example and they're thinking you know i wish i was in ministry i wish i could do what what john and randy do in full time and i could really be of service to god if i was really doing it full time but i have to pay the bills and speak if you will to to that perspective of like 90%, whatever odd percent of the population, which would love to, to be full service to God. And they're thinking the limitation that they aren't really serving God in their job in their uh, home life or whatever it happens to be. Good question. You know, I, I had a, a time frame of about three months where the father would talk to me about how he expresses himself in, and, and the, the motivations he has and the, his emotions and how they're expressed. And during those three months, I also had a couple of visitations with the Lord where he started talking to me about the gifts uh, and, and our call on our lives so that I had the combination of how the Father and the Son together, you know, minister. And part of that was the renewing of my mind. And I'll, I'll say it this way. I'm going to start with this. We are told in Colossians 1, you know, 26, 27, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory, that we have the mind of Christ. That is the power of God. Christ is his deity. We have, we have the mind of Christ. We're a new creature in Christ. Therefore, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, our bodies are now temples of the Holy Spirit. 
God doesn't live in a building made with hands. He lives in people. That's the first thing to understand. From that, we build on that. If Christ is in me, then for my life, there is no such thing as secular. We're in, in, in church thinking, and I'm saying church meaning 2,000 years of churchianity, there is, there is the sacred and there is the secular. And so we think of, of a pastor or like ministry, like you said, oh, I wish I had a ministry job. You know, I wish I had a sacred job is what they're saying. No, 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 wrong thinking. For the Christian, there's no such thing as secular. Everything is sacred. If you can use the analogy of going back to the Old Testament priests, their homes were provided. Uh, the, everything their home, everything, everything they did was geared towards the temple of God and the presence of God. So their homes belong to God. Their food belonged to God. Their clothing belonged to God. This is how you and I are in the New Testament. Christ lives in us. The temple of God is within us. So your workplace is holy because you are there. Mm -hmm. Your car is, is holy. Your, your shoes are holy. You, when you ride the bus or the train or you walk someplace or the motorbike, your bicycle, you are holy. That is holy. It is for God's use, God's purpose. Therefore, your the gifts that we normally take in churchianity to mean ministry gifts are totally wrong because we define them as being within a job description or the four walls of a church. That's not New Testament thinking. New Testament thinking yeah. says there is nothing that's secular. Everything is sacred in my life. Now, when the Lord was teaching me this, and this may blow some people's minds, but I also, at the time, I was the director of a Bible school in Tulsa, and so I was teaching second-year classes. And so during this time frame of this semester with the Father teaching me these things, I was also active teaching in Bible schools. So in this one class, well, let me explain it this way. Um, when the Lord appeared to me to visit me and teach me about these things, he said this. He said, remember, he said, all things were made by me and for me. And he said, the gift of a pastor has different labels. Men put different labels on that gift, but the gift is from me because all things are made by me and for me. And he started explaining to me, and then I'll I'll just take it right to where I took it from him. Then I went within a couple of weeks, I, I was able to teach this particular class. And I asked the guys, I said, and the men and women, I said, how many of you in this class are called to be pastors? You know, show of hands. And I said, could you tell me what you do for a living? And they were basically middle-level managers. Mm. And, and, and I said, I said, here's the thing, here's the thing. How many of you, your office, your cubicle, your desk, your station at work is like a busy railway station that people are coming to you with their problems. People come and go in and out of your office uh, across your, your life more than anybody else in that office. They're pouring their hearts out to you. They're asking you, thinking about what you're doing. They they have no problem opening up to you. The same show of hands. I said, folks, you're already a pastor. Stop the label and realize that it's the gift that in Christ in you, your heart for people, you're serious about your own faith. You 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 want to care for people from from birth to death. You want to feed them. That gift of pastor can work in any number of corporate structures. It can, it can work in fast food. It can work in a manufacturing. It, it can work in a so-called church, a building that is identified as church. But the gift of pastor, and I had one, one guy who was a butcher and he, and every, he loved everybody in his, in his, um, you know, behind the glass window in the grocery store there. 
and he cared about the people. Another guy worked for a telecommunications company and he'd have people come by and, and talk to him and just pour their hearts out. So then when the Lord started teaching me these things, he told me this, he said, he said, the gift of apostle is often called in the world entrepreneur. Mm. And I said, I need an example of that so chapter and verse. And he said, he said, in Acts 18, Paul was a tent maker. And I already knew some of the stuff because I taught New Testament survey. And, and he said, he said, you know, they were involved in manufacturing, in marketing. In Corinth, they had a every two years, they had Olympian games called the Is, the Isthmian Games. It was an isthmus of Corinth right there, a narrow land bridge between the main part of Greece and and the what's called the Peloponnesian Peninsula, the large part. Anyway. So the so I started realizing Paul had to deal with manufacturing, marketing, uh, sales, uh, collecting all the vendors around there so that he could have everything he needed, and he said that's that gift that allowed him to go into strange new cities and start a church and be part evangelist and part teacher and part pastor as an apostle is also the gift that allowed him to set up his tent making shop anywhere he went. And that my mind just started blowing. And, and so he, he started talking to me about how the gift of evangelist, he said, the gift that allows somebody, that, that, that graces somebody with their ability to sell a car or an appliance, he, he said, those many of those same people will love to get people saved and, and will love to evangelize. So anyway, you know, I, I, I started to show of hands how many, and, and then I started going into it taking from that teaching, I said, how many people are prophetic here that 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 you feel like prophecy or prophecy motive or, or prophetic and show of hands? What do you do for a living? Human resources, law, policymakers, research, actuarials. And I said, you know, the same gift in you that, that God moves to give you a prophetic word for somebody, a, a word of wisdom about their future or something that he's called uh, them too, is the same gift that allows you to look a year from now and you can tell where that company is going to be. You've got a gift, whether it be human resources, accounting, law, that, that you've got this prophetic insight into the company, not only the people around you. And I said, you've got to stop thinking of this, you know, from that way. And, uh, and you know, I was thinking about the Psalm and I'm trying to remember it here. I know we're going to pause a little bit, but one of the Psalms, um, I believe it's Psalm 18, 118, and I appreciate you with this. Well, one uh, of the things while you're you're looking for that, John, that I wanted to uh, just note is uh, your comment earlier about the discussions about heaven being kind of the icing on the cake, but what you're talking about is the continuation of life uh, and not thinking of it as chapter one and chapters two and heaven through infinity. You're talking about a continuation and an accentuation in heaven, obviously, of everything that is good and perfected in heaven. But that our station in life, what we are gifted in, what we are uh, talented in, our our desires and all of those things that are maybe somewhat sullied in the world that is there you know we struggle with whether we are doing the right thing and yet in heaven that is carried forth into perfection and into fruition on a on a, on a eternal basis on an ongoing basis to the fullest extent 
Um, and so that that's part of what I, th- I see. And obviously stories about heaven uh, and even hell are very evangelical in their impact, like nothing many of us have ever seen. But I think what you're talking about is, is so impactful because it really talks about what we're doing today in continuing on into eternity. Yes. You know, what I was, where I was going with this and in, in thinking, those are just the fivefold, you know, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and, and you can look at the, whatever a person is doing in life and realizing a gift is something that comes very naturally to you. You can, you can train it, you can get trained and you can gain expertise and experience, but, uh, but it's, it's something that comes naturally to you. And, you know, everyone quotes, for instance, in Ephesians 4, where it says of Jesus that, you know, in that he died, he descended first to the lower parts of the earth, but he ascended, and it says he gave gifts unto men. Mm-hmm. That, in Ephesians chapter 4, quotes, that's a quote of Psalm 68, 18, that he gave gifts unto men. And if you look at that Psalm 68, 18, in the King James Version, and it says that in the Hebrew, it says this, he gave gifts unto men, and then the completed thought is this so that God can live among the rebellious. That's the that's Psalm 68, 18, the King James Version. So when we look at Ephesians 4 and we think God gave gifts to men, oh, I wish I was an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, you know, one of the fivefold, we have to go back and look at what Paul was communicating with the rest of the sentence. He gave gifts to men so that God could live among the rebellious. The gifts are not to be in the four walls, they're out there, and and they are there in the managers and in the workers and and employees, and it is it's a continuation of his life in us. And as you noted, you know we're going to be working in these things and many more on into eternity. Uh, you know, I'll I'll say this. You know, I'm in my sixties. I'll just I'll just uh, you know for for truth and, and transparency, I'm in my sixties, and. I thought when I was a teenager, I knew all about myself. You know, I thought I, I knew all about my gifts and and what I had and what kind of abilities I had. But the older I got, the more I discovered different things about me and my personality that I liked, that meant something to me that I didn't know existed. It was like peeling back the uh, a rose that's about to bloom. Uh, for some people, it might be an onion, but I'm going to use the rose as an example, <laughs> you know. And and I I learned you know that that things from my childhood that really became a part of me like sailing, and boating, being out on the water. I, I learned for some strange reason I'm fascinated by gemstones. Maybe that's because of some of the things I saw in heaven. I don't know, but they're they're, they're like different layers about myself that I've learned. And if you realize you live forever, when you get older. There are hobbies I wish I could do. I, I'd love to build a cedar canoe. I'd love to have a big workshop work with wood. I think I think I think wood is probably one of the most amazing things that God ever invented. I would love to have a workshop. I would love to 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 be able to uh, to do things. But now time and age and money and everything it's, it's just not there. But there, nonetheless, there are these layers on the inside of me that I'm learning about myself. The older I get, that never stops. 100 years from now, 300 years from now, 800 years from now, there is so much that the Father God put in us because he is unlimited. You know, unlimited God, unlimited time means unlimited learning. There's so much he put within us. I'm telling you, the ages to come 
is just going to reveal all the the beautiful things that he has created within each one of us because we are created by him in his image and his likeness so he's created that same creativity and and gifting and everybody unique so we're already in eternity that's what you have to get yeah so so that's that's that is a paradigm shift for i think many or most people and that is uh you know i i've spoken as i'm sure you have with people in their in their 80s or 90s and they're at the cusp of of leaving this world and they're thinking you know time went by so fast uh unlike a maybe a 20 year old or a teenager when it seems like time is going so slowly but they look back on their life and the at toward the end of their life and they think you know if i i i didn't have enough time i didn't i I wasn't able to do that the things that i wanted to do and uh but that's that's the wrong perspective because Mm -hmm. the next step in that is carrying forth that so that they can do and will do that which they've intended to do or wanted to do that's right and you know when i was in heaven there were a lot of older people that i saw and there's there's nothing on earth that i could compare it to of how an old person how i knew that a person was older because like i said everybody appears to be in the 30 35 year old range but there is a look in their eyes and around their eyes that any wisdom or experience they gained in in the lord or anything in life that they then were teachable and learned of the lord from that was somehow reflected on their face not to make them old looking but there was a but somehow life experience and wisdom is transformed into their appearance so that they look both 35 or 30 or something like that 35 but but also they look older and you can tell that maybe some of that is by the holy spirit i don't know but it was clear that when we receive our glorified bodies that that you know those bodies will reflect that youthfulness and that um and and so it's it's an amazing thing and and you know when you're in the spirit too i, I want to say this too about heaven because i have seen the father i have been around the throne a lot of times people will say well you know it says no one can see see me and live you know and live you know exodus 34. <laughs> it's funny the previous chapter the scripture says moses that god spoke to moses face to face like a man speaks to his friend in the next chapter moses says you know show me your kabod your glory what you're made of and the lord says okay i'm gonna have to hide you in a cleft of a rock and put my hand over your eye basically and and the difference is being in the spirit if you are in the spirit uh, then you're not limited to your physical body, so you can see the Father. Yeah. And that's how Moses talked face-to-face with the Lord and, and why when he was just up on there and in the physical, he there was a rock nearby, where he, a little cleft in the rock where he could be placed. He wasn't in the Spirit. It was just him. But, you know, I want to say this about the Father because one of the biggest things in, in our modern society is people who stop at Jesus and they don't know their father because they they had a horrible father they had no father they had whatever the case is life happened and they weren't able to transfer the goodness of the heavenly father misunderstandings about about the old testament um and and things of that nature but but the father the father is seen I'll, I'll 
if, if people really read their Bibles in Revelation chapter four, the apostle John sees a door in heaven and he hears a voice saying, he said, I was in the spirit and I saw a door in heaven open and I heard a voice saying, come up here. And there in Revelation chapter four, it's the father's throne, 24 elders, a rainbow around it, clear platform. And it's in chapter five that the apostle sees the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God that had been slain. And it says that he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So we have the father in Revelation chapter four. The father seen by Ezekiel in chapter one describes the same cherubs, the burning, uh, uh, you know, like balls of fire that carry uh, the father where he goes. My favorite, oh, of course, there's Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel sees the ancient of days and to whom the son of man came to receive a kingdom without end. So the father is seen, and, and I want to encourage people, and, and, and it's for this, because there are times when a person can be in the spirit, in the in the midst of worship, and they feel like, and, and they will report this, I feel like I, like I was on my father's lap, and my heavenly father was telling me how much he loved me, or I feel like the Lord was embracing me. What I encourage people to let them know is the father is that active in your life. And there are many of these experiences that are real, that you are in the spirit to one degree or another, where you can sense your spirit receiving that embrace, being on the Father's lap. You know, you're there worshiping, but in the spirit, somehow it's like you're transported and you just feel the Father just comforting you like a father to his son or a father to his daughter. And it changes a person. And and these experiences that that I've had, that others have had, are not meant to be just tickle your ears. They're meant to, to change lives and to change the way we think of our life in Christ. And, uh, you know, part of that led me to, to house church and to relationship-based faith. Um, you know, I could tell the story real briefly that, that when I was a, a leader in a church of over 10,000 people, the head of the Bible school and, and different things of that nature, um, we had a young woman, I say young, she's 40 years old, 41 years old at the time, who was part of the 200-member choir. And she had taken classes in the Bible school with, you're talking 150 to 200 people in a class. That young woman went out one night and put a gun to her head and killed herself. Hmm. And I thought, in a church of over 10,000 people, how in the world did nobody know her? And how did she not know anybody? And I talk about this a little bit, and I'll mention this too about my journey from the auditorium to house church, if I could, uh, my book, Return of the First Church. Uh, I will, once again, for anybody watching, I'll, I will send you by email the PDF of that book. Just email me at cwowi at aol.com, and you can go directly to our website, cwowi.org, and you can find out how to contact us there. But But what's happening, Randy, is this awareness that heaven is important to us is 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 so heavy on us in in december of 2019 during the visitation right it was right before covid was breaking out and everything and he started talking about the pandemic and stuff but he said this he said the time is coming and now is when one's faith will become precious to them when a person's mm. faith will become precious to them mm. that is what we are seeing around the world that there, there are people who are waking up and saying, this is for real, uh, that, that, that my faith is precious to me. 
And I need to find others on my same spiritual page. They're not content with just doing church anymore. They are they are heavenly minded and yet very earthly, practically minded. They are very much aware that Matthew 25 talks about when Jesus returns. In Matthew 25, he says, to those who fed me, clothed me, watered me, took me in, visited me, those are the ones who will inherit the kingdom. You know, I was sick. I, I was hungry, thirsty, uh, a, a, a stranger passing through, sick and in prison, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the body of Christ that he's looking for. It's a very practical body of Christ. He he had told me in another visitation, this was uh, about uh, 10, 2010, 2009, he told me, he said this, he said, you're going to see an underground economy develop in my body. And I, and economy involves more than, more than money, as you know, it's the whole, it's resources, talents, the whole thing by which we interact with others. And I said, what, I said, what do you mean? And he said, you're going to hear of buying and selling, trading and bartering, giving and receiving, or giving and receiving, trading and bartering, buying and selling. And, and I said, we kind of have that, you know, we, we take food to a sick friend or, or, you know, after a funeral, take some food in or something like that. And I asked him for examples. And he said this, uh, he said, he said, if he told me, he said, if you were to walk through Jerusalem in uh, after the days of Pentecost, immediately after the days of Pentecost, when the widows were cared for, both, both uh, Jewish and Gentile believers, he said, when you were, if you were to walk through Jerusalem at that time, he said, it looked very much like it did in the Gospels. There were still beggars in the street. There were lepers. There were people in need. He said this, he said, but if you were a widow in me, your needs were taken care of. And he said, and he said, many of these, wi of these widows were taken into homes and became surrogate nannies and, and aunts and grandmothers. And I said, I need chapter and verse on that. And he said, he said, you've read in 1 Timothy 5 how Paul laid out the conditions for taking a widow in, uh, into, into caring for her. And he, he said that she has to be noted for hospitality and, and serving the saints. He said, they became part of my body. They weren't left on the streets. They were taken in. And that was part of the example of what he was talking about, an underground economy, that there is, there is coming a time where the, the body of Christ is so connected to one another with the gifts that we were talking about earlier and the talents, you take mm -hmm. kind of an inventory of your gifts and talents in your local house church or your, you know, who can fix a car, who can cook, you know, who can, who can do electrical work, et cetera. And you realize, you know, it's what he told me when he told me to, to do this in November of 2004, when he appeared to me and he said, I want you to start a house church and a house church network. And I want you to structure it in such a way to facilitate the development of house churches around the world. And when I said, asked him why, he said, it's against a time to come. So mm. be a resource for it's against a time to come. And Randy, what we're, what we're seeing is people who are hearing stories of heaven. We can almost taste it because it seems so real and seems so near. I think saved and unsaved alike can tell something is going on. Mm -hmm. Something is about to change. And there, there are people in the body of Christ coming alive and saying, I want to be, I don't care about church membership. I want to be with people on my same spiritual page who have the same spiritual priorities of caring for one another, of being that safety net for people. And I, I, we're going to see that more and more. Yes. So anyway, I kind of meandered, went far afield, but it's all related 
to this understanding that we're already in eternity, that the people mm -hmm. I sit across from in the living rooms of our house churches today, I'm going to know 500 years from now. Yeah. You and I still going to be friends, still going to know each other 500 years from now. Yeah. What your relationships in Christ are not lost. Your husband, if your husband, if your spouse is your best friend now, they will be in the next age. But there is an intimacy in heaven that we didn't even talk about. There's an intimacy in heaven that goes far beyond anything on earth, far so beyond true. anything sexual, far beyond anything of the soul that you could experience on earth. When Jesus was asked, you know, what about this woman who's had, you know, seven husbands and she gets to heaven, whose wife is she? Jesus said, you don't understand the power of God. The, mm. the intimacy there, because of the safety factor that you can bear your heart yeah. to anyone in heaven, and they will not abuse that, misuse that, think ill of you. There's an intimacy that comes with knowing one another so deeply, so yes. thoroughly, that we get a taste of it in a in a godly marriage, and perhaps a godly friendship between best friends as well. But in heaven, it is just to the nth degree in power, even more because there is no devil, there is no flesh. You can you can be so. However intimate you are right now with your spouse on earth, there are still things that you treasure in your heart that you know what to say and what not to say. You don't want to trigger them for anything. But in heaven, when all those are gone and you can just open up and you can be 100% yourself and it's all in Christ and all godly because of your fully developed spirit man, you know, if I could use that word, that's kind of a strange way to put it. But because there's, there's no risk, it's an amazing thing, the intimacy in heaven and and we, we we strive for that here on earth to to let sharpen iron sharpen iron and to to one of the hallmarks of our ministry is galatians 2 9 where it said peter james and john uh perceived the grace in paul and barnabas and agreed that they need to stick with their ministry to the jewish population paul and barnabas needed to go to the gentiles but they perceived the grace and gave the hand of fellowship and that means in 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 our lives I may not understand you. I may come from a different socioeconomic background. I may be of a different race, a different upbringing. But if I can perceive what God has called you to, if I can perceive Christ in you, I don't care about your tattoos or lack of tattoos. I don't care how rough yes. you look or how refined you look. I'm yes. looking only at Christ in you. And that is the eternal value that we hold in our hearts. Not only what I've seen in heaven, but what we try to implement here that, that I we can perceive the grace in one another and walk in love and be at peace with one another. Even if personality-wise we might clash, when we see what Jesus is doing in your life, we can agree on that. Oh, there's so much, Amen. like I said, wandering far afield. I bear witness to that, my brother, and uh, my what I had witnessed uh, in heaven and everything in heaven that we witness is to be practiced here on earth, albeit with the limitations of our body that we have now, having been released of that in heaven, still heaven is the model. That which is established there should uh, testify of how we live our lives uh, on this earth. And that, that has to do, John, with what your ministry is about, which is the church without walls, uh, should be that the church, the body of Christ, that is, should be operating without walls. It's not, it's not just my space or 
it's not just our particular ministry or what we're doing. It needs to be shared and it needs to be expounded. There's a, there's a theory within, and I come from a, a, a business background. There's a theory of, of um, collaboration, which is that many people tried to take the uh, piece of the pie, if you will, uh, let's say a pizza pie, and you, you divide the pieces amongst each other. But collaboration is the church without walls is you build, uh, you make a bigger pie. So we're not just divvying up what we have. We uh, serve an awesome God, uh, Philippians 4.13, through Christ all things are possible, that can expand that pie. And that's what we're doing. We're expanding the pie. So uh, we want to support, John, your ministry. And we were just talking about before this interview that the Lord had been placing in my heart. He said, you know, I, 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 I need that I need small groups. I need people, the church going forward to, uh, to be as he sees the church, uh, in this day and age is that church without walls. And, uh, many we've had who have uh, felt disenfranchised or they don't have a, a church with walls or someplace to go, or even anyone with whom they can associate who is a believer that they know because you're new in Christ, uh, you can go to uh, John's uh, ministry to the church without walls, a small group, perhaps find something there. You noted on your screen uh, the some of the, um, the email and the website. Uh, we also in the body of this message, you'll be able to find those as well. So you can get in touch with the, uh, the ministry that John has uh, founded and continues to lead as well as his uh, the kindness that he's offered of his book in PDF so you can get a copy of that as well and um, John uh, we just look forward to uh, continuing this conversation into eternity with you there's there's so much you know once once you realize that Christ is in you and everything is sacred and realize that the church is out there in every workplace and and farm and field and it just takes the limits off and you can love people for what God is doing in their lives. It just takes the limits off of you. And that's where, like the scripture says, the gifts of God are, are, are so that God can live among the rebellious. You know, that's where you can exhibit that love. And it really is, it really is amazing. It's also very mundane, very normal because, you know, Jesus saying, clothe me, feed me, you know, take me in, <laughs> visit me. That's very, very boring. And a, a relationship-based faith will affirm your faith differently than, say, pews and woodwork and stained glass uh, affirms your faith. But uh, once you make that adjustment um, and realize that these people you're going to know for all eternity and and they've got your back, you just can't go back. And, you know, what, what we do is you know, how they grew in the early church. We, we rotate homes, we rotate who leads, who hosts, and we rotate who leads. So when you're rotating each week, somebody else, a different host house when they're available and take turns who leads that meeting because it's not sermon oriented. Then when you outgrow a home, you just multiply out and you've got a core group of, of leaders that the Bible would call elders, but we don't put titles on them. Um, just in closing, one of the things we found is that the, the words of the New Testament, like, 
bishop and deacon and apostle and all that, they those were action words back then, you know? An apostle is one who sent out, an evangelist is one who proclaims good news, a pastor is one who tends the sheep. Today, we've turned them into labels. We've turned them into nouns, yes. and that's hurt the body of Christ. Once yes. we realize that Christ is in us and we just are all equal, but we just have different functions, you know, your spiritual life levels out, becomes a walk of love, becomes challenging, but becomes very steady and healthy and balanced. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunity, Randy. I look forward to continuing, like you said, <laughs> the conversation. Infinite God means we could, we could, you could talk for hours and hours and, and never scratch the surface. He's so good. <laughs> we need to have that continuing conversation. And for now, thank you for this, uh, John. But we're we're now entering into one of my favorite parts where I invite you to pray for our audience and um and please, before we, we pray, don't leave us right now because there are people that are going to be touched here. There are those of you who are saying, you know, I want to know this God, this Jesus, uh, or, you know, I, I, I need to further my walk, whatever my calling. I need to discover what God has called me to do. And hopefully we've answered and John, through his uh, sharing, has answered that question that you're in it now. Don't think of it as future focused. Think of it as current focused and what God is having you to do, even in the minutia of life. But I'm going to give you the opportunity, John, to pray for our audience. Uh, and um, please don't leave because there are going to be breakthrough. And even for some of you, salvation and some of you are going to be directed toward your life and all theirs are going to be uh, plugged into a fellowship group because you got to be in a body. I don't care if it's two or three. Um, you've got to be with others and uh, and hopefully, you know, through the sharings and the links that you see have seen, you will do that. But, uh, John, will you uh, please pray for our audience now in closing? Sure. Hallelujah. Father, you know how I always like to pray. And and you, too, uh, watching and listening, you can join in. It's Paul's prayer of Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 19. But Father, I pray for everyone here that you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you so they can know the hope of the invitation that you extend towards them. And I thank you for filling us with spiritual wisdom and spiritual knowledge. And, and maybe you're listening to me and you just happen to come on here. You feel a stirring on the inside, something resonates with you. Yes, Jesus is real. I would say this to, to if you're listening and, and watching this, um, you know, on the inside, you still feel like that kid that could run the hundred yard dash really quick or the hundred meter dash or you still feel like that kid that could climb a tree or dunk a basketball, but your body has changed around you, but inside you feel the same. That's that's proof that you are eternal. Your body has changed around you, but on the inside, you still feel like that kid. That's because your spirit is eternal. So you need to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm going to take this step and I'm going to dedicate. And for some, I'm going to rededicate my life to you. This is bringing me home. I can feel the resonating in my spirit. It just it just bears witness. It feels right in me. So Jesus, take charge of my life. I don't want to add you to my life. I want to give you my life. And now you have my life to do with it as you please. 
And, and so, Father, thank you for, for rooting us and grounding us in love so that we can know the full volume of the love of Christ that is beyond knowledge. But let everyone watching and listening to my voice have that revelation of love. Let them see your love, Heavenly Father, like they never have before. Let that revelation just flow and burst with all in the inside of them. And let even after we close here, Father, let your presence linger that they can be drawn to you. Like John 6, 45, 40, 44 and 45 says, Father, that you will teach them. And those who, who are taught of you and hear from you will come to Jesus. So teach your children, teach your people, Father. Thank you for doing that in the name of Jesus. Thank you for that. And there's, I know there's emotional healing. I know there's things that are coming. There's some who are just weeping right now because they're getting to know their father for the first time. Yeah. And, 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 and some are reconciling again. But I just sense that in my spirit, that it's like a homecoming for, for many. That there's just a, just a, a weeping right there of, of just joy and peace. So thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah.